0: journalist and author Jan Wong. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? (laughs) How dare you ask me that question. Today on the show, you're not hated, I'm hated. Oh, no, we're all hated. Don't worry. Yeah, it's okay. We're both hated. Why those against Islamophobia and anti-Semitism should just kiss and make up. Also, give me that sweet, sweet Google money. How Bill C-18, the Online News Act, is shaking out for us. And for other news startups. Welcome back to Shortcuts Jan, where we talk shit about the news. Great. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Paul Kozin, Ryan Perry Wynn, Matthew Sauter, Zachary Schroeder, Jeff Todoshuk, Rob McIntosh, Rena Cabanilla, and Pat. Hi, my name is Pat, and I'm an independent filmmaker living in Montreal. I support Canada Land because they offer an incredible stream of independent programming you just can't find anywhere else in this country. From Land Back and Detour to Backbench and their incredible reporting on monopolies. No one else talks shit about the news quite like Canada Land does. And grand merci à l'équipe pour tous tes programmes. Continue le bon travail. So Jan, we're going to talk about Islamophobia today. Caseworkers at the National Council of Canadian Muslims received a more than 1,300% spike in reports of Islamophobia between October 7th and October 24th. My sense of things, Jan, is that last weekend, racist sentiments towards Muslims got even worse. But Islamophobia in Canada did not begin on October 7th. That story began a long time ago. And the way we are going to tell the story of this chapter of that long story is by starting with a recent news item. The auto youth that was first charged this weekend with alleged terrorism offenses was back in court today where federal prosecutors leveled 3 additional serious charges. The minor who cannot be named due to his age is now facing a possession of an explosive substance charge and another charge alleging they intended to use the explosive. The RCMP has said the minor was allegedly plotting an attack against the Jewish community. The third new charge is an additional count of facilitating terrorist activity, along with allegations they instructed others to carry out a terrorist activity. You catch the story, Jan?
1: Yeah, there's so many, yeah. Didn't give a lot of details, right? Because they can't name him and I don't know exactly what he was doing.
0: Yeah. It, it, when I first saw it, and I first saw it through a police news report, I was very leery and cautious as I am when the cops talk about this stuff because though we we leave a lot of detail out when it's a youth offender for good reason, maybe they're innocent and still a kid, or even if they did it, you want somebody to be able to have some kind of a future where their name isn't associated with this for the rest of their life. You don't know how old this, this kid is. But those laws that are there to protect the the youth offender also give the cops a lot of cover to just sort of say, yeah, this is like a terrorist arrest. That could be anything, right? And then when you're specifically talking about kids online and like RCMP and CSIS, there is a long and awful history of cops kind of on this hunt for anyone who's just like chatting idly about – Jihadism or whatnot. And then sometimes they've actually entrapped kids and tried to radicalize them posing as, you know, various types of figures from ISIS or whatever. So I'm I'm always skeptical. Like, was this really a threat? In this case, yeah. Yeah. Do you
1: think in this case, yes?
0: So journalism. Global News was able to first talk to the kid's dad, who said, you know, I've been trying to steer him away from radicalization. I've been trying to get him to speak to his imam. And Global also had a look at the dad's Facebook page, which was filled with derogatory posts about Jews in Arabic. But okay, okay, that doesn't mean the kid was up to anything. But then we have Chris Nardi in the National Post getting more details from court proceedings that the kid was actually building an improvised explosive device. So this kid allegedly intended to do Jews harm. And according to police, they found metal ball bearings, acetone, and oxidizer uh, bomb-making materials. So the kid is now facing five terrorism and explosive-related charges. And for all of the criticism that listeners hear of the police on this show... I've been talking about the mounting anti-Semitic messaging in Canada and the messaging, we see this just play out in front of us that messaging turns into Molotov cocktails thrown at synagogues and and shootings before school starts at, at schools, which are physical acts but are more intimidation. And then we see... Where is this going? It's going to actually people getting hurt. And here, allegedly, the intent was to, to, to hurt and kill Jews. So, you know, you got to, like, these, these crimes are hard to anticipate and prevent. And if, if that is what happened here and the cops got ahead of it, then, you know, hats off. Thank you. Anyhow, the reason why we're starting with this is that, you know, this news item came two days after another news item. About which much less is known, there were three teens in Calgary arrested for terrorism-related posts on TikTok and other social media sites. That one, maybe it's a trivial, people mouthing off online kind of a thing. And the news of the details of this alleged teen bomb maker hit on the same day... That Chrystia Freeland, the deputy prime minister, but also like an MP here in Toronto, she put out a tweet announcing that she had visited with some Muslim community leaders, I believe in her writing, mm-hmm. to talk about the rise in Islamophobia. And that's when things got really dumb. So I saw tons of messages from people, some of which went went very big, but some of them were from people in the media like Alex Pearson So it kind of crossed over from just commentary online from notable figures and people with big followings uh, to people who actually work in media who were taking this tweet from Christia Freeland that was saying, you know, today I spent some time listening to Muslim community leaders about Islamophobia. It has no place in Canada. And this was contrasted with like, this is what Alex Pearson said, explosives with ball bearings. When you have a second, spare some thought for Jews being targeted in Ottawa. The notion here being that giving attention to anti-Muslim hate somehow takes away from our need to be safe as Jews? This whole
1: debate, this whole situation now, I think is unlike any other that we have seen in Canada or in the media. I think you can't say one thing without people jumping down your throat and saying, yeah, but what about? So we have this huge... What about ism cloud hanging over everything that we discuss or say in Canada? If you say, you know, what about the hostages? Then people say, well, what about uh, all the civilians dying from all the bombings in Gaza? And so this in in a microcosm in Canada. We're getting incredible incidences of Islamophobia and incredible incidences of anti-Semitism. And so if you talk about one, everybody gets mad and says, why don't you talk about the other? And so it's a very fraught time. I've been in a lot of shouting matches recently with people who aren't even journalists who normally don't shout. And it's just kind of soul destroying.
0: It's terrible. It's it's a terrible time. And I think that we got it right the first time I talked about it on this show with Emily Nicola, where... We identified in that conversation that the struggle that lies ahead is the struggle to not be forced onto a side, to not accept the terms that I have to pick a side and fight the other side. And this is particularly the case for a journalistic organization, to maintain independence. And I feel like uh, that we have to be as afraid of those who wish to embrace us because they feel that we're on their side as those who wish to reject us because they feel we're not. Your
1: organization is interestingly kind of a— a negative positive, like a flip of the other organizations like CBC that says their journalists are not allowed to use any social media and post anything that isn't like the orthodox CBC viewpoint. But for you, you know, I saw people tweeting that, Oh, I'm, I'm not going to donate anymore. I'm not going to fund. I mean, really? People are pulling
0: their subscriptions. You seem to be interested in speaking about our internal issues and I can only get into that to uh, you know It's not uh, that internal because it's been on It's been public. What, w- I'll make one point here and, and, and you got to respect that like I'm trying to be a leader here in a difficult time and I'm trying to be responsible to my people here. I'll talk about what's happening publicly. for for a minute, which is there is a narrative that really is being thrown at us by both sides of things where people who are convinced that I'm saying things that I'm not saying are saying, I'm pulling my support from Canada and everybody here should too. And then it gets shared by thousands of people. And if you were to just read that, you would really think we're in trouble. And then people on the other side who have declared a side say, Canada's woke crowd is turning on them. Look at how the left eats itself. And then I turn and I look at our actual listeners, and supporters. And and I, I'm not going to talk about my staff, but I am going to talk about our audience because they're being maligned in this as well. And they're being described as sort of these dogmatic ideologues who are turning on me because I no longer are towing the party line. That is not the audience that we built. We have an audience of, I think, people who are not being represented right now in Canada, which is people who are sane and thoughtful and can tolerate Differing opinions and are trying to wade through a time of deep moral confusion, where people are jumping to moral positions. There are, I think, an, a, an unheard majority of people who are really just trying to learn and take things in and avoid falling out with everyone, and that's not being represented because the loudest voices are really crushing down and and, and stigmatizing open conversation. It's
1: the whiplash effect.
0: Yes, I don't have any fight. There are almost two million Muslims in Canada. And not one of them is my enemy. To return to our conversation here, I don't think that the rights and the safety and the interest of my Muslim neighbors to be protected from a spike in racism against them is in any way in conflict. With my expectation for safety right now, while I recognize that it is particularly acute and physical what is happening to Jews who are who are a very small and vulnerable group right now. I'm not an activist, but there are ideas about allyship in anti-racism that we, I think, are, are in danger of losing right now. And I'll, I'll return to this in a media conversation because I am sensing something really fundamental shifting in Canadian attitudes towards Muslims. And I think that it's because of a shift in the movement itself that i'm i'm perceiving because just a day before news of this alleged teen bomber there was this campaign against zara that hit a few malls here in the toronto area and i was like zara isn't that like a spanish fashion chain what's the problem with zara here's the background okay uh, as far as i can tell maybe somebody will tell me that zara's done some horrible thing what i've been able to discern here is that zara put out a photo ad campaign in which the model is posing with these, like, white sculptures, it looks a little, to some people, like footage we're seeing from Gaza of people who are wrapped in white. In shrouds. You know, this was shot, says Zara, before this war, and it was not a reference to that. But whatever, they took down the photo campaign, and yet they're still targeted in malls. And whereas before, there were these mass protests on the streets where I think a lot of people who showed up were there to say, ceasefire. So I think a lot of people went to this protest thinking, I'm going to a peace protest. This is what last weekend's protests sounded like.
1: While you shopping, bombs are dropping! People are Palestine! Free Palestine Palestine Palestine! Palestine! Jesus was Palestinian! Jesus was. Jesus was Palestinian.
0: Jesus was Palestinian. I'm telling you, could you read fiction? I'm putting him on the floor? You come near me, I put you lay down on the floor. I lay you to sleep. I put you six feet deep. I put you six
1: feet deep. I think Jesus was also Jewish. They're screaming, yeah. "Jesus was <laughs> I think he was also Jewish. Anyway, that's beside the point. Interesting that that was a promotion before the Gaza attack on the Kibbutz. Yeah. What are you saying about this?
0: Okay, well, so if you were to see those clips, in addition to how angry it sounded, what you would see is a Santa when kids come and sit on Santa's lap at the mall. The protesters were not just, like, happening past Santa. They were coming to Santa and saying, Jesus was Palestinian, which is confusing to me. I said earlier that something shifted, I think, in public perception towards Muslims uh, last weekend, and I think it had to do with with, with those bombing charges, and I think it had to do with... It's one thing to Joe Blow in Canada when they throw a Molotov cocktail at a synagogue, okay? It's another thing when you come for Santa. <laughs> and when angry people hit the mall, they're not in downtown Toronto where you can just avoid the traffic. They're in, they're in the mall. They're at Santa. That, I think, touched people in a different way. And then the second clip was a masked protester. And it's, it's unclear. Some people said, oh, this guy's threatening a cop. Some people said he's threatening a Jew. I don't know who he was threatening. The police are standing there while a protester is right up next to them, threatening someone with death. I will put you six feet deep. And the cops did nothing. And that's that That has got the attention of MP Anthony Housefather and others saying, what the hell is going on here? I do not feel safe as a Jew. They're making death threats in front of cops and no one's doing anything. And that's one of the reasons why when Christia Freeland says, hey, I'm concerned about Islamophobia, some people I think who are legitimately scared right now are saying like, do you not see what's happening to me? The cops are not doing anything about this. And it's been going on for weeks. And... I think it's it's totally legitimate. You just
1: did that thing we were talking about, which What's is what thing? aboutism.
0: Right. I want to say to those people, you might have a legitimate beef with the authorities. You might have a legitimate beef with the government. You need to protect us better. You need to take this seriously. You do not have a beef with Muslims. Mm -hmm. And this also has to do with the fact that Trudeau, you know, people were calling for a ceasefire. Trudeau has called for a ceasefire. So they have to move on to Zara. So there are people in the Jewish community who are feeling like, oh, Trudeau has abandoned us. And so whatever. I don't want to wade into that, whether he has or hasn't, whether he was right or wrong. Your beef is with Trudeau. It is not with your Muslim neighbor. That's what I'm trying to say
1: And there should be no space in Canada, in the media or on the streets, for any anti-Semitism or any Islamophobia. And then we get into, like, is it okay to stand outside Zara? Is that anti-Semitic? Well, I don't think you should be protesting outside businesses. I mean... I think if you have a beef about the bombing in Gaza, then you should go to the U.S. consulate and the Israeli consulate. I don't think you should go to coffee shops and clothing stores, especially since Zara has said this was not at all an ad campaign. I mean, I believe them because it is unbelievable that they would be that stupid.
0: It's getting really bad. And, you know, what I saw happen is the exact same thing that I saw happen to Jews, where people on the fringes of the conversation are finding their voice to say things that you're not supposed to say. And whatever, people are, are afraid and they're getting emotional about it. So there's this screenwriter who put out this diatribe this guy lee kern is he canadian or no he's an american he wor- he worked on borat so i'll give him that he worked on the sequel to borat which was great but now he's just a bigot he said the reactionary muslim world is a moronic racist culture the entire cause of all this conflict is islamism blah 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 and i wouldn't even be going into this guy's messages except for the fact that a canadian columnist john Iveson, shared this message And we talked about Canadian columnists sharing the messages of racists before. So this is John Iveson sharing an anti-Muslim message. And Sarah Hagee flagged this. And I think we should flag this kind of shit every time it happens and call these columnists out, even when it's something like, oh, it's a retweet. What does it matter? No, it matters because these people have credibility. And she said, this is the kind of shit that Canadian columnists are retweeting these days. And she points out that this is Canada, where six people were killed by a gunman at a mosque. A few years later, a man ran over and killed four members of a family because they were Muslim. And... In both cases, they were inspired by years of anti-Muslim messaging. The messaging leads to the violence. So let's not pretend that we're shocked the next time there's anti-Muslim violence because this is where it starts, is when mainstream voices start spreading this shit around. Sarah is uh, has been a friend of mine. I hope she's still my friend. And I think that she and I are going through the very same thing right now. The thing about
1: this is if people retweet things, then it Ups the ante, yeah. I I agree that if we keep in the media, we keep talking about this stuff, it creates more hate. It gives people on the fringe, the real haters, permission to start saying this stuff, and it will lead to violence. I mean, that's how it happens. We we've, we've seen this over and over again, but I think. It's still important to watch what the media is doing. I think somebody was tweeting about how many times on CTV they're giving the voice to... Israelis and how many times they're giving the voice to Muslims. And it's kind of a crude way to approach things, but it's important to note.
0: Yeah, I I, I thought that was a good bit of analysis. I, I, I have a, some questions about it because, like, everybody is, like, searching through media to find, like, where's the bias? where's Is it this way or that way? And, and I got to tell you, like, we're, we're collecting these stories, and it takes time to deal with them and find out what's true and not. And there is, like, so much evidence of bias in both directions. But really, what a lot of it comes down to is just, like, like These newsrooms, people are working crazy. What everything with the cuts has done is leave us in a position where we are not equipped to handle a story like this. And so when you want an expert, like there's a tiny Palestinian community. There's a large Muslim community in Canada. But if you want to get a Palestinian on CTV versus if you want to get a Jewish leader, they're on your Rolodex. I think that there's no excuse for not having uh, somebody representing Yeah, You just have to work harder as a journalist. But you might not be able to get a Palestinian. I think that in Canada— there's practicalities here, And I think that if you get somebody who represents the National Council of Canadian Muslims or somebody who's an academic who who is an expert in Palestinian issues, must they be a Palestinian? and i'm I you know, no, it's okay. We have to be like media critic critics. When, when other news organizations are saying, well, why aren't there any more, more Palestinians on the air? We have to say like, well, what is your methodology for this? So, so we are doing all of this and we're taking our time with it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think
1: Canadian media organizations haven't been as nutty as Americans, where I think at the LA Times, if the journalist signed a petition like, please don't kill Palestinian journalists, they were taken off the story. They're not allowed to report it for three months or something. It, it's ridiculous.
0: We haven't seen like anybody who says anything vaguely pro-Palestinian losing their job in media. What I'm aware of are two cases. And we get a lot of letters. Canada Land, why aren't you looking at these cases? Why aren't you standing up for these journalists? And what I'll say is, I think we take a broader position at Canada Land in favor of, we're the house of talk. Say what you need to say. I don't remember ever censuring anybody here for what they've said, and I, I reserve those rights for myself as well. That does not mean you can say whatever you want, and it will not affect your journalism, and it will not affect your job. There are things you can say. Any editor at any news organization, including CanadaLand, knows that there is a line.
1: There is a line for journalists when you're covering anything. Like, I was never able to put up an election campaign sign until I stopped being a daily journalist, I would not put a sign on my lawn because you just don't do that. Of course, you vote, but you don't put signs on your lawn.
0: There's certain things you don't do. And I I had to send in a correction because, you know, the National Post was covering uh, our troubles here at Canada Land and put in something to the effect of, you know, all that Jesse has done is stand up against anti-Semitism, true, and stood for Israel. I've never said that. And then I'm in this uncomfortable position of now do I have to say I don't stand for it? I do. (laughs) Here's the correction I sent in. I'm a journalist. I don't align myself or declare allegiance to any nation state, whether it's the government or the country, because how could I do journalism if I'm like, oh, by the way, here I am covering China, and I've said, I stand with Taiwan. So there's things that we know we can't do.
1: One of the things that is happening and is not ever clarified that I can see is people are conflating Jewish people with anti-Semitism, with Israel, with the attack on Gaza. These are four different things, and people are conflating the whole thing into one big
0: lump. Here's the bottom line, Jan, because it gets very complicated, but it's also very simple. Jews are being blamed for what Israel is doing, and that's wrong. Jews in Canada should not be blamed for what Israel is doing. Absolutely. Muslims are being blamed for what Hamas did and for what specific— actors here are doing, and that's wrong. That is not what the nearly two million Muslims in Canada, and they should not be held responsible. And that's it. We we live together here very nicely, and shame on anybody who tries to divide us against each other, and we do not need the media pouring gasoline on a very explosive situation.
1: I think you once said privately to me when we were meeting. Is this a quote from Casablanca? Our opinions don't count for a hill of beans or something like that. So when we have our opinions about what's happening in Israel and Gaza, they're just our opinions. They're not actually very important. You know, I play flute and I have a beloved conductor. She knits, she knitted me a little heart that I hang on my Christmas wreath, but she told me she's also knitting hats for the soldiers in Israel so they won't get cold. And I looked at her and I said, that's nice because I love her and she's entitled to do what she wants to do. She's a Canadian, just like I'm a Canadian and she can do this. I am not going to go and scream at her or stand outside her house or tell her she's wrong. I, I don't agree, but Good for you. Knit those hats and knit me a heart while you're at it and I'll put it on my Christmas wreath. We are Canadians. And I think mm-hmm. our political opinions are not important. What is important is that we live in harmony here.
0: Where I got all this blowback is saying something similar to that. I was very careful in my wording. I said, we're all but powerless to affect what's happening there but we have so much power to destroy our relationships here. That's good. Can you put that on a Canada land t-shirt? It'll be on a t-shirt, but it got me into trouble because people said, what do you mean we're powerless? You think we should just be silent? You're telling us not to protest? No, 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 no. I think that people can mobilize and sometimes they should, and they they can achieve incredible things en masse, that's fine. That's great. Don't clobber your neighbor. Don't clobber your neighbor. And don't think it's this amazing hubris of the West that something happens. You're like, what's my position on this? My, my opinion is really important. I have to figure out my opinion. You know what? You, you actually have the option of saying, I'm just taking in information. This is really complicated. I
1: think you should think and you should process and you should ask yourself, what is your opinion? It is important not to say, well, it doesn't involve me, so I'm not going to think about it. I think we all have to think about it. We all have to process it. But we all also have to live with each other.
0: Yeah. Maybe ultimately you form your opinion and you decide you have to do something about it. But when you're, like, making some kid cry who's sitting on Santa's lap, you got to look like, the what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> you know? How did I get here?
1: Oh, I make kids cry all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, fuck that kid. All right. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. Jan, we duly note stories. I have a couple to duly note, and lots of stuff is happening as society unravels, and we have to care about everybody who it's happening to. That is what brings me to the story I want to duly note, which is uh, Rupa Subramania, who had been, I think, a conservative columnist for the National Post and is now working for a site out of the States called the Free Press. She has become the target of trolls and harassment, vicious, racist stuff, anti-Hindu stuff from the right wing, I think from people in the audience that she normally plays to, it is not okay. There are a couple of things. There was a video of a bunch of Indian kids singing in Punjabi at a hockey game, Oh, Canada. What a heartwarming Canadian scene. <laughs> what It's hockey, it's Oh, Canada, but look, we're inclusive. And people commented and said, what the hell is happening to Canada? What language are they speaking? That's our song. And then another thing that happened was like a Hindu temple built a statue. Of a Hindu deity, and this became seized upon. Like you can't put up a Johnny a. McDonald statue, but you can put this monstrosity up. L- look at what they're doing. They're claiming Brampton as as a Hindu. Like like what, Hindus now are are mad at Hindus for ta- like. So there are people I think kind of. In the audience that she normally plays to who are getting really ugly and bigoted. And she spoke up and said, whoa, this is way off. That argument is completely fallacious. The Johnny McDonald thing, which and she's not in favor of taking the statues down, has nothing to do with this. I'm in favor. Me too. You can put up a Buddha. You can put up a Jesus. You can put up a Hindu deity. You can do it. And, and she just got the worst kind of shit. And I don't know that she was supported by anybody who she is associated with in the right-wing media here, but I think it's important to lend support to people who are fighting racism, whatever political quarter they come from, and I wanted to duly note that bullshit. Duly noted. What do you have? I don't have a an actual story. I have something that
1: happened to me. First of all, let me ask you this. Do you shop? I do. Do you shop for groceries? I do. And when you're at the cash, do you watch them? Do you watch it like a hawk?
0: My dad taught me well. Former grocers and chicken peddlers who you do not take your eye off the cash.
1: Good. So, have you ever noticed that something was
0: scanned incorrectly? Oh, yes. And I love those moments.
1: And so, you know then.
0: You know your rights. I know that then they have to give it to you for free, don't they?
1: Pretty good. The actual policy is that if it's under $10, you get it for free. But just one. So if you bought six things of haagen and you were scanned incorrectly, you only get one get free. One.
0: Oh, you know it well. Unless
1: there are different flavors in which I would have a huge fight there. And if it's over 10 they have to take $10 off the lowest marked price. Ah. Yeah, so I was at this upscale Korean grocery store and I bought half a chicken. You know, they're delicious fried chickens. And I went through this whole thing with them. It was a special, but they charged me the regular price, blah, blah, blah. And the interesting thing was I really had to fight. And in the end, the woman at customer service, she was still trying to like fool me. It's $10 off the lowest mark price. I just thought... Everyone's writing about grocery prices. They're cheating you at the scanning machine. And why is this policy in place? It's the Retail Council of Canada adheres to it, and all the big stores have signed on Loblaws, you know, Canadian Tire, Costco. Why? It's there because they're supposed to punish you. If you have a flyer ad or you have a special and the customer buys it, but at the cash, you charge them the full price. I would say... 95% 95% of people don't notice. Only you and I notice. So I just want all Canada Land listeners who are so kind to support Canada Land to make sure you get your $10 discount as soon as they do it. We got
0: to put that out there.
1: I should have walked through the whole grocery store and told every customer, "Hey, quickly, go get that fried chicken because you're going to get it for $3." Oh, and it's good for things at Zara too just
0: Oh, okay. Duly noted. I, okay, I, I got one here I want to share with you. This is so wild. I interviewed one of the most fascinating people I've ever interviewed on the show is this guy, Ari Ben Menache? He had a, an office above a Burger King in Montreal from which he lobbies for warlords. He takes contracts for for dictators and despots. That's his job. He's basically the lobbyist of last resort, is how it's being described. (laughs) And he makes millions of dollars when they want to have influence or talk to governments and they don't have direct access. They hire this guy. I was amazed that he did the interview with me, and it's really worth listening to. But he was back in the news this week. Adrian Humphreys wrote about him in the National Post because he feels that he is being persecuted by the prime minister. And I'm like, come on, man. But then you read the thing and you find out he hasn't been able to open a bank account in Canada for the past 10 years because bank after bank refused him as a client. He also lost his elite American Express Centurion card, a black titanium credit card with no limit. He's suing the banks and the credit card company. And recently uh, he's been audited. He's fighting the CRA, a tax dispute where they've uh, been auditing him for you know returns back to 2012 and his company and his wife. And what got him in the news is that he just lost his driver's license because he can't get insured. All the insurance companies cite moral risk. So I actually left this article thinking, like, maybe they are out to get him. Maybe somebody is, like, they can't find a legitimate— I
1: think they should get him.
0: Maybe they should, but I don't really feel outraged on his behalf. But I do feel like when the government decides to fuck with an individual and they can't go after them— in a direct way, what can the government do and do they do this stuff?
1: Is it actually a a whole campaign or is this just because – you know, insurance companies, they're happy to, if you're a risk, they're happy to not insure you.
0: But who who has gone to the insurance company and said this guy's – like, uh, anyhow, I, I, he's unable to prove that there is a prime ministerial campaign to ruin him. But there are a lot of data points that Doesn't I Doesn't he
1: do an FOI request?
0: Ooh, I'm going to call him up because we're on those kinds of terms and have a chat with Ari Ben-Manashi, and, and I'll suggest that.
1: It's very hard for me to feel sorry for him. I'm sorry. You know? I just can't find it in my heart, (laughs) duly noted. Canada's standoff with Google over the Online News Act has come to an end.
0: Now, Google will continue to post links to Canadian news sites, uh, and the company will share some of the ad revenue it earns. Uh, It's going to be making annual payments to news providers in Canada of $100 million. So, Jan, you can be forgiven if you are not following every development in the story of Bill C-18, the Online News Act. Yeah, I'm not following
1: it. Too much is going on in Gaza. I can't
0: follow C-18. What is C-18? So I'm following it both because media policy interests me and, full disclosure, I'm following it because I'm hoping to get paid at the end of this thing. Uh, I am a news publisher. And while Canada Land takes the position that we will not accept media subsidies from government, this money from private companies that is being constructed as licenses for news that are being handed out to our competitors and have been for years, yeah, we want that. We're already at a disadvantage because our competitors are getting all this uh, government money. We have no problem taking Google's money. How much do you think you're going to get? So let's talk about that. Let's talk about money. What was predicted by government was a lot more than what we're going to get. And let's hear the new Heritage Minister Pascal Saint Ange answering questions about that. A hundred million
1: doesn't look like very much. I mean, uh, earlier this year, the Heritage Department said Google would have to pay at least one hundred and seventy-two million dollars a year to avoid regulation by the
0: CRTC. So that seems like a bit of a letdown. Well, there's been a lot of uh,
1: numbers that have been thrown out there. Well, this was uh, by your but...
0: government. Yeah, so it's a lot less. One hundred and seventy-two million is a lot more than a hundred million. What? The government was imagining was that Canada never does anything first. It was only after some of the news companies, Rupert Murdoch, specifically succeeded in getting money from big tech in Australia that Canada was like, "Okay, we'll get the same or more." But in fact, Google and Facebook saw that and did not want to set a precedent because now that's going to go on all around the world. California is going for this as well, so they're like, "No, no, we got to shut this shit down." Facebook pulled news links entirely to let every other country know, don't even ask us for money or we will remove news links from Facebook entirely. And all the people screaming at each other about politics will be doing so without any verified information. They'll just be screaming at each other over nonsense. And they proved that by doing it in Canada. And Google said, we'll give a lot less in Canada. The $172 million was based on precedent set in Australia. So to your question of what are we gonna get, I don't know exactly. There's all kinds of backroom stuff that we were not a part of in terms of divvying it up. But the broadcasters are getting 30% of the $100 million. CBC is getting 7%. And the remaining 63% is going to all the newspapers and digital news sites altogether. The estimates I'm aware of is that it's going to be paid out on the basis, I hope fairly, everybody gets the same based on how many journalists you employ, I was pushing with some other publishers for it not just to be based on full-time employees, but freelancers as well, because a lot of smaller digital companies don't have full-timers. We do. And so the estimates are you're going to get somewhere between ten dollars and $20,000 per full-time employee. Wow! So it ain't nothing. It's fine. But one thing that I have been talking about throughout this is the extent to which this has really been bad for New companies, digital companies. And if if we're figuring out the winners and losers here, this is what I can tell you. Some of the big newspapers might be losers because they had private deals with Facebook that are done now. And their private deals with Google, my understanding is they may be downgraded. I don't know that for sure. Certainly, they're losing the Facebook money. Now, the funny thing is that when everybody lost the Facebook traffic, that was worth something to us. So the result of the government getting involved here, Facebook says it was worth like two hundred and thirty million a year. That's probably an overstatement, but let's say it's half of that, one hundred and fifteen million a year. So we lost one hundred and fifteen million a year in referrals from Facebook, and then we get a hundred million from Google. Well, we're coming up behind. That's particularly important for small publishers. And who do we really care about? People who are launching news companies in local community, right? That's where like we do not have news in many communities, and that's where Facebook is vitally important for letting people know because everyone's got some community page in these communities where there's no newspaper. That's where you wanna buy what are called lead ads where you, you build up a newsletter by getting everyone's email address. That's where you advertise and let people know there's now a community newspaper and you can't put your content on Facebook anymore and you can't get any referral traffic that you don't pay for from Facebook anymore. So the loss of Facebook is particularly bad for small publishers. Facebook is gone permanently?
1: That wasn't just a tactic?
0: I think Facebook is gone permanently. That's what they've said. And everybody in government thought they were bluffing. But I was aware that Zuckerberg, even before this Canada stuff, had said, because he was taking all kinds of shit for Facebook's role in polluting American democracy, blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know what? Our users don't even like news. It makes Facebook a negative experience. So the algorithm was already punishing news all around the world. And we were seeing that we were getting way less organic traffic. And then Canada's like, give us money and calling them thieves. And I think that they said, you know what? Let's see what happens when we turn news off in one country. And they're telling us, and there's actually some independent research to back this up, that people like Facebook more without news. They like it more. And they haven't lost any traffic. So depressing. And I'll tell you this, Jen. I'll tell you this. Winners and losers So, I don't want to shit on a company called Six Buzz because I like weird types of information and they do like people getting in a fist fight in a local Burger King. Okay. They are not doing journalism and they don't call themselves journalists. They don't list themselves as media in that way and as reporters. And because they don't list themselves as news, they did not get banned from Facebook and Instagram. So, they're not going to get this money, but they've had Instagram all to themselves. All the other local media got kicked off of, of Instagram. And Six Buzz, which often has people ranting about politics or things that are news adjacent, they've got the whole news of younger uh, audiences to themselves. So so non-journalistic information wins. But here's the main new thing that I know and I don't think has been reported. Nobody new is getting this money who doesn't get in now. It doesn't open up again for five years. So at a time when we desperately need new news organizations, they are sitting around a table, and I'm going to try to take my place at that table to get our piece of the pie of this $100 million. And then it gets locked in, and nobody new can get into this, I am told, for five years. Okay, so who's at the five-year rule? This is—basically, Google has bargained for this with government. And and it completely contradicts—the original law was like, hey, it's a law. It's for everybody. Any news company that is being shared on Google should be getting money from Google. Five years is a lifetime for a media startup. Well, at this crucial moment—like, this is a big disincentive for even starting, because you're, you're getting into a industry where there are incumbents who are getting all kinds of government. And, and the other government subsidy, the wage subsidy— That one, you need to be in business for, like, at least a year before you can get any of it. So you're looking at that crucial first year of your news organization, and, like, it's looking like they just doubled the government subsidy because the newspapers were so pissed off that Facebook left that the government had to make them whole. So here we're getting punished again for not taking government money. Our competitors are now getting twice as much government money. So we can probably survive that, but if you're thinking of starting a news company in Canada, you're like, every dollar I spend— my competitor only has to spend fifty cents.
1: So that hundred
0: million is also a fixed sum. It's not ever going to grow in the, in these five years where they've locked out. It's a fixed sum, and and the deal is that, that that doesn't matter how many news organizations, doesn't matter how many news jobs we lose in Canada or gain. It's a hundred million dollars a year for five years. That's not good. That the pie will never grow. And this is these are the terms that Google was offering a year ago before Facebook left. This has been bungled. So revoltingly, mostly to the detriment of the newsreader.
1: So it's been negotiated by the government
0: with Google, obviously. That's right. What's happening is Google was like, we're gonna leave too. We're we're gonna we're gonna stop indexing news in Canada too. And after Facebook, you know, the government who under the previous heritage minister, they were so sure that big tech was bluffing, and then they completely folded their hand after Facebook left. They're like, oh shit, big tech actually might leave. So
1: are you how much are you gonna get? You didn't answer my question. I, I don't know so how many it, employees
0: it, do you have well it's only it only covers full-time journalists and I think that I think that we're like somewhere like in the 10 to 11 full-time journalist range so it's uh,
1: two hundred and fifty
0: thousand. well if it's ten thousand dollars per journalist and we get it which isn't guaranteed yet
1: I thought you said it was twenty thousand per full-time it's, journalist
0: it's somewhere we don't know it'll depend on the split and how many people are at the table so it's somewhere between 10 and 20 okay is what's estimated Somewhere between 10 and 20. And is it taxable? Ooh, I don't know. Everything's taxable. Yeah, why not? It's revenue from licensing. Tricky of
1: Ottawa to do this.
0: And we might not get it for, like, people are saying that checks might not be, like, 6 to 12 months, you know. In
1: other words, it's not much money.
0: You know what? We, we operate at such slim margins here. We have, you know, that like if we get $100,000 more a year or $200,000 more a year, it actually makes a significant difference. And okay. after the headaches and and having to get involved in like lobbying, which as a journalist, I did not want to do, but as a publisher, I had to do. After all of this and talking about policy, which bores people to tears. Yeah, I, 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 I'm cashing that check and it's going to go back into the journalism, but I might buy myself a bottle of liquor as well.
1: Well, you could also hire that warlord Lobbyist in
0: Montreal to do your lobbying for you. What should we lobby for?
1: Well, lobby for a one year moratorium on newcomers. <laughs> Send him in. I bet he can do a good job.
0: I have to wait until I'm guilty of the international crimes I'm being accused of before I need his services.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Jen Wong, it always makes me feel a little bit better to have a conversation with you. Thank you. It's
1: always so much fun. Thanks, Jesse.
0: Alright, that's shortcuts. You can email me about it at jesse at Canadaland.com. I read everything you send. Jan, where can people find you?
1: I'm still on Twitter, to my shame. I'm at writer wong.
0: Get it? Right or wrong, writer wong on Twitter. This episode's produced by Jess Schmidt with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our managing editor is Annette Ajofo Our editor-in-chief is Karen Puglese. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you value this podcast, please support us. We did lose a bunch of supporters and we really do need to replace them if we're going to do the things that we need to do. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. As a supporter, you get premium access to all of our shows ad-free. You get early releases and bonus content. All the perks get better and better. We just had a planning meeting about all the stuff we're going to be giving you. We have an exclusive newsletter for you, discounts on our merchandise, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. But the reason that you're going to support us is is to become a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. You'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us now. Click on the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com/join. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music included with Prime. Happy holidays. Happy New Year.